Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like build and bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Berkshire Hathaway's 2023 annual shareholders meeting took place with the Oracle and his right-hand man, Charlie Munger. They discussed various topics, including the company's performance, which showed strong Q1 earnings, a net income of $11.7 billion. They're going to have some... They said the companies, though, that they invest in are going to have lower earnings at the end of this year. They did. Then, but, they, but they said... Than last year, right? Which, which we knew what was going IR, down yeah, last year yeah. was just that's not necessarily negative. It was like that yeah. every it's single year. It's almost like somebody saying, "Like, hey, that you got this piece of real estate. It's a good piece of real estate. It's going to appreciate. It's just not going to be 2019 to 2022." What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves. We are back in the studio. As always, your host, Matty A, co-host, Mr. Breedwell. What's up, Back y'all? from the other Sorry. side of the pond. I was too far ahead of y'all. I was in a whole nother day. Well, we got a lot of great stuff for you on today's show. As always, covering stocks, real estate investing, and personal finance to help you on your March to a Million and beyond. If you are new to the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We got these posted, the video episodes on the YouTube channel. And of course, we are on all podcasting platforms. If you have not taken 90 seconds to leave us a review and you enjoy what we post and share each and every week, we would be greatly appreciative. Leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of all the resources and things that we provide our Millionaire Mindcast community. First and foremost, the free financial x-ray from Ryan and his amazing team, which is... We will take a look at your current investments, what you're kind of doing with um, any insurance that you got already set up, and we can kind of build you a plan, take a look at what fees you're paying, what your plan might do if you didn't make any changes, recommend changes to be made. And if you want to make those changes, we can help you make those changes. If you're an accredited investor and you are not on my accredited investor list and you want to look at more investment opportunities, passive income plays, you can text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. And of course, for the free financial x-ray, that is x-ray to 844-447-1555. 
Don't forget to check out millionermindcast.com. We got all kinds of great stuff for you guys in the store, the Rich Life Planner, the Net Worth Tracking Spreadsheet, Income and Expense Trackers, all kinds of great stuff for those of you who really want to sharpen your financial tools and resources in your Rolodex. You can grab those at millionermindcast.com. So today we're going to be digging in on the state of the market. We got some updates going on with PPI and CPI, where is inflation coming in? U.S. unemployment rate came in this last week. The Fed made a new move, of course, on the rates. And will they continue to jump or pause? How is this going to tie into a potential soft landing in the market? U.S. default coming on debt, or are they going to raise that debt ceiling? We'll talk about that today. And we've been seeing some interesting activity in the markets with some potential short selling and what the administration, Biden administration, is looking at there. We had the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Shareholders Conference takeaways from their meeting and the Oracle of Omaha and Charlie Munger and what they think of one, Berkshire Hathaway, and two, what's going on in the market and the global economy. And of course, some real estate updates. Are we seeing the market slow? Is it going to be picking back up? And the data, what is that support? So we'll share a crystal ball and some thoughts around all those things today. First and foremost, I want to know how was the trip? Trip was great. Um, I was completely unplugged in in London, Paris, Bordeaux, went wine tasting. How did it compare to Napa? Napa Valley wines, from what I tasted, taste better than the wines from Bordeaux. That being said, the wines in Bordeaux are excellent. They're just different. Was it what you expected? Did it disappoint? No, it didn't disappoint at all. It was above my expectations. It was really good. I bought three or four cases of wine uh, back. Um, It was really good. Like, really great stuff. Fun experience. It's just totally different. They have so much more history and age. If somebody was going out to wine country in Bordeaux, what's one place that you visited that you would say they got to check out? If you can, uh, I went to Chateau Mar- uh, Margot, which is a pretty famous um, chateau there. Um, there's another old one, Chateau Andoulet. Um, that one's really good. Those are in the Margot region. Um, Did you like the wines or the champagne better? I didn't drink any champagne. No bubbles. No bubbles. Um, different part of France. I was. Uh, I mainly drank. They they mainly grow Merlot grapes in the part of Bordeaux that I was in. So I drank a lot of uh, Bordeaux blends, um, and I had some really good almanac, almanac, I think it's like a cognac type deal. Uh, I had some from 1966. That was really good. Um, And I went to a really old small town that's over in the Bordeaux region. It's kind of a wine growing area called Saint-Emilion. And it was really, really, really old, built in like the 800, 900s. Uh, They had like a church that was like carved out of the mountainside. So they didn't actually build it. They just carved it into the the mountain, they just carved a church into it. So you like walk in a mountain. Wow, I mean, that's it was, cool. It was pretty cool. So it was favorite a great Favorite city and why or favorite destination you stopped at? Amsterdam. Nice. It was just, it was the easiest city to get around. They had really good food, uh, really nice people. Dutch people are super nice. The uh, uh, Alex wanted to go, my wife, she wanted to go see the uh, tulip blooms. We went to Kukanoff. Oh, yeah, saw, those photos looked cool. Yeah, I saw that. We went to do another tulip field and walked in there. So she got her uh, tulip game uh, strong, and I was happy because she was happy. And then 
we said we've met this owner of a new Italian spot that had opened two weeks ago from I think Bulgaria, Bulgaria or something like that, part of Italy. Um, they have a special flour. They're making their pasta by hand. So we ate there twice. It was a vibe. It was a good time. Amsterdam's awesome. I'd recommend it. London was the least favorite. The food just sucks. I mean, it's terrible. In London? Yeah. Demetrius and Karen love y'all. I know you live out in London. Um, food's terrible. Indian I would food never, is on fire, though. Oh, it was the best Indian food I ever yeah. had in my life. Yeah, they got a but large I would Indian never, I would never demographic out there and great, great Indian food. Never go back because the food was just, it was place to visit and see one time and yeah, more yeah. to be seen in the world. Yeah, I got to see, I went and saw Big Ben. I saw everything you could see in London because I was like, I'm never going back here. <laughs> well, switching back over to state of the market, we continue to hear recession talk. And yet a lot of the data isn't necessarily supporting that. So we got unemployment data that came out this last week currently at 3.4%. This is the lowest level since 1969. U.S. households have $500 billion in excess savings per the San Francisco Fed. It was noted that U.S. households still have some $500 billion in excess savings compared to before the COVID-19 pandemic that could support consumer spending late into this year, according to research published on Monday by the San Francisco Federal Reserve. We saw, of course, the Fed bump rates this last week. Last time. Up 25%. There will be no more hikes. Now, they did say we're not done raising rates. Oh, they're done. But he also, Jerome Powell, came out this week and said, hey, you will notice that there was a statement in our last notes that we removed that basically kind of left the door open for we're not going to necessarily be ra- raising rates. They're pausing. 100% they're pausing. But there still could potentially be one more, nope. depending on what data comes out with on nope. PPI, CPI over the next quarter. Nope, I don't see it. You don't see it? Nope. How I'm, putting my, I'm putting my flag down on this one. They're, they're done. They're pausing. They're not cutting yet, but they're pausing. They are pausing. We should see cuts. Uh, I think in the July meeting. You think we'll? You think we'll see cuts in summer? Into summer, uh, into fall, we're going to see cuts. Um, They're going to cut at least two, two times this year. They should cut three times. Wow. Yeah. I know. I'm crazy, but you know, you look back six months, and I'm right. So we got PPI and CPI coming out this week. Yep. How does this inflation data, one, what are the whispers in camps in your world, in the financial world? And then how does PPI and CPI data, based on how it's trending, or you think it's going to trend, tie into what the Fed's going to do? Uh, the debt ceiling is doing a little bit of a shine away from the PPI, CPI weight, which is maybe good or, or bad. Um, CPI is going to be, I think, uh, on a graph up month over month due to shelter data being throwing it off again. But then again, the core CPI removed the shelter data and all that other stuff, and it's going down. That's that's the expectation. Uh, so we should have a... And the Fed has said core is what they're they're watching. So we should have a month over month uh, a down read on um, core. We sh- we sh- it's hard on the PPI though, because last time I was looking at the same data metrics and it was like PPI might be surprisingly hot. And I even was like, wow, it doesn't look as promising as it it could be. And then the PPI data came out like way, way pull back. 
Um, I think that might have adjusted by now. And now we're going to see maybe what I, I was predicting last time where we have hotter than expected uh, PPI numbers. That's not a good thing. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it would be good to see another unexpected um, drop in PPI if we could, because I I just... To the recession talk, you know, we're talking about the, the inflation. If we keep seeing the data roll in, where earnings that are coming out, earnings have been really good. Palo Alto, not Palo Alto Networks, Palantir had their first profitable um, quarter or reporting that they're going to have their first portable quarter ever. Um, and that's a company that's not, re- that's a very high beta company, high risk company. Um, these companies are reporting positive earnings and beats on estimates, which is what I said was going to happen during earnings season, that everybody's going to start revising their earnings down and they're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, we can't have a recession if unemployment continues to go down and the consumer spending continues to stay so, uh, stay so strong. Um, I was talking about it on my Twitter um, if you have thick skin and you're not a liberal, you can follow my Twitter at that rbreedwell. And I was posting about how the we've been in this kind of rolling recession. That's not really like a true recession, but it's definitely te- technical rolling. However, you want to shine it up. We've been in this period, this bear market for so long, and we're only now 14% off the peak of the market high of the S&P back from when we hit that in uh, late 2021, rolling into 2022. So we're not, we're within correction territory, right? 20% or less off the high. We're now out of a recessionary area. We're back into correction territory. And the market seems to continuously pull back up at the tail end of the yield curve. We have the 310, excuse me, the 510, and 30-year um, treasury yields back on an actual curve now. They're, that that part of the curve is back in line and, and moving more back in line, meaning long-term debt has higher yield than short-term debt. There, there's just so many things that tell me that recession is not going to happen. And, and one of the main ones is that it's being pushed so hard by the mainstream media and by retail investors being worried about it. It's one of the biggest shining blinking lights like this is def retail investors are some of the worst investors that mm-hmm. exist that's why i have a job um they sh- they don't know anything the market knows investors do not so modern portfolio theory which tends to be correct most of the time says we lean on what the market knows because the market is essentially all knowing and you know in a data way like an omniscient way and it's telling us opposite things than what the media is saying the bond market's not saying that we're going into a recession. The stock market's not saying we're going into a recession. The data that drives those markets is not saying we're going into a recession. People are just cherry-picking things based on templates in the past that are not applicable to our current time. Because what we're going through right now has never happened. What are your overall thoughts when it comes to some potential fractures in the economy or in the banking system? that could potentially domino into a recession. I just, the, again, I'm still sticking with my guns on the banking thing. It's, it's to small regional banks that are, were mismanaged. It was mismanagement errors. It wasn't because the banking the institutions are, are, have a systemic or an issue with them. 
Um, JP Morgan bought them, which I was joking that they might. And the regular said they can't. But then they made a special approval to allow JP Morgan to buy them. So now JP Morgan is over 10% of all U.S. depositors. Um, That's wild. Yeah. But over 10% of all the money that moves to the United States moves to that bank. That's where I bank at. I'm happy for it. Doesn't mean it's good or bad. But I, again, people were kind of freaking out about this and like, just coming back from London, there's like three, four banks. They don't have that many banking institutions. They just don't do that. So it's it's works in countries that are thousands of years old. <laughs> and the reason it works is because it works. You don't need too many Indians, not enough chiefs. Don't you like the, the argument that I know a lot of other people would make? We actually had some listeners kind of reach out on this one. I'm saying, well, you don't really necessarily want it consolidated. You, you, that's the Why? beauty of... Why? Free markets Why? and competition. Show me the if, competition that's happening with regional banks to larger banks. It's just, it's not there. What do you mean by that? Show me a regional bank that is competing for your business better than a large bank. Well, I think it would. gives more utility and options to how outside of oh, well, tons of loan products for small businesses, for commercial real estate. I know this, I'll, I'll speak from the real estate perspective. Anytime I see somebody come to the table, with a loan on one of the big banking institutions versus a commercial, local bank, regional bank, credit union, the terms to the borrower, me as an investor, or that person coming to the table, way more flexible and favorable than the larger institutional organization. So for me, I would go, I, I don't want to just have those be my options. I like these other banks creating more competition in the marketplace. I think that when they absorb those businesses and they have like with JP Morgan doing that with, uh, Oh God. First Republic. First Republic. Thank you. They're going to absorb those businesses and they'll now service those businesses. They just don't, that's not their bread and butter. JP Morgan makes their money on wealth management. Yeah. They don't make their money on, um, they, they don't make the money on loans or bank of America, Wells Fargo. Um, most of the big banks make their money on wealth management. That's how they make their money. Um, I think, though, that as they absorb those businesses, kind of like when Berkshire Hathaway started, they were a, a textile company. And now mm -hmm. look at them today. They've slowly absorbed all these companies into the company they are today. And I think people constantly point out like uh, duopolies or monopolies right. or things like I think that. That's the bigger concern for a lot of people, right? But we have a lot of those that already exist and we allow them to exist and they're okay to exist. I mean, if you think about, there's like three meat suppliers in the United States. It's not a duopoly, but I mean, there's three. Of right. Them. And they, they all, it's Cargill. Uh, I forget the other two, but there's like three main, there's four main suppliers for chicken. There's two main suppliers for pork. So just, we already have it in other industries and we don't care about it in those industries and it works in those industries and we constantly get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper food prices. Yeah. Minus in the small stit that we're going right now, food hasn't gotten more and more expensive as a whole. If you apply, you know, what we're paying and you add inflation to it, it's actually gone down. Yeah. Um, that, so I don't see that. I don't see banks being the, the fuck you fat, rich cats and saying, oh yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to give you products that keep that business coming in. Mm -hmm. We're just going to do it our way. And, and I think that if a bank of that size decides it, economies of scale would prove that they could, they could choose to do it. And if they did do it, they could choose to do it better. Mm -hmm. 
because they have the economy. To yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely one argument that could be made on one side of the coin. I, Maybe I, they're not doing. I know they're not doing it because those big banks, J.P. Morgan being the worst, they pay the least amount of, to their depositors, and all they're doing is treasury bills with it five percent. Yeah. Speaking of kind of the banking industry, the Biden administration has said it's watching financial markets closely to analyze how short selling is affecting healthy banks. We're seeing some of these players in the market take shorts on banks, assuming that some of this contagion or some of these dominoes are going to continue to fall. I think, forget which one it was that I sent you earlier this week, the shares of a relatively healthy bank were down 54% for not really any pinpoint. Well, like, like Schwab was going through that and everything. What, they, they, what, what is going on there, I guess, is the question. They put a temporary... Uh, ban on short selling certain financial companies, which by the way is not the first time that's happened. It happened in 2008. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. I don't know if it was the Bush or Obama administration, but I believe it was the Obama administration. They banned short selling on certain stocks. The stock market recovered for a short period of time, and then after they lifted it, it tanked again. Um, the reason they do that is because markets are made. And I don't think people understand that the market is made every day. That's why there's a job called a market maker. This person that literally sits and audits and looks at all the trades, and they'll shut down the market of a certain security, if there's fraud or if there's suspected capping and pegging going on or something that's not supposed to be happening. Um, that is an okay thing for that to happen. I think the more important thing for people to focus on is not getting caught up in the short-term stuff because so many people are throwing out, you know, seven or eight months ago it was recession. Then there was no recession. Now recession's back on the table. Um, it's just, it's so much loudness that it's a clear sign that it's a time to kind of put your blinders on and just run. And if more people did that and more people stuck to their plans, 
things would start panning out in the way that they're supposed to. I think the only place I'd be running from right now is commercial real estate. In large, large, large commercial real estate. I don't know what the classes are called, but like the ones that like are office office space. Well, right now, I mean, really, they're calling it the Widowmaker. Real estate's next big short is so risky, it's called the Widowmaker. So this was uh, written on The Real Deal, which is a large kind of real estate, mainly commercial real estate blog and, and, and publication. Um, Wall Street's next big short is on offices, but betting against offices is easier said than done. Speculators are placing billions of dollars worth of bets on commercial mortgage-backed securities on the belief that remote work and the $108 billion worth of securitized office loans set to mature in the next five years will wreak havoc on bondholders and the overall market. Now, that's still somewhat of a risky play, right? You're betting on fact that these trends continue for to be somewhat catastrophic yeah. for the next five years. I think that a lot can change yeah. as we know what we've seen in the last three years, right? So still though, I think there is a transformation happening in commercial office product with retail product, the way consumers, workforces, corporate environments are navigating and ultimately, you know, retooling their um kind of ecosystems. And that obviously has somewhat of a ripple effect on commercial real estate assets. But in your opinion, again, the sentiment, banking, financial institutions, the overall system as a whole, strong, stable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the all the larger important banks are 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 capitalized in a proper way. The main banks you're going to see banks at the top end that have like uh, uninsured deposits at like BNY Mellon, PNC, banks that work with wealthier individuals or businesses because the FDIC limits 250. So I mean, once you have 260,000 in there, that person qualifies as an uninsured depositor. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't necessarily pan out to be bad if you go through a lot of the details. But when you have not uh, like the uh, Signature Bank or uh, Silvergate um, and all of them. It wasn't just that. It was that they were that to the tune of like 88, 94% uninsured deposits. And then they're backing those uninsured deposits with uh, uh, interest rate sensitive securities in a rising interest rate environment. So whoever made those decisions didn't know the bond teeter totter. Interest rates go up, your face value goes down, and then people are taking money out. So you have an investment that's bleeding off value due to market losses, plus withdrawal losses that you're not expecting. So it's just too much of a run. All the money, it was there and it's getting returned and is going to be returned to people, but it was illiquid and it could not get to taken out fast enough. I think I, I went over $40 billion or so in an hour, or excuse me, four or five billion dollars an hour versus like seven days to mm-hmm. do that amount of money back then. So we can just move money a lot quicker than we used to be able to do it in this digital age. And that was something that was not accounted for. So we're seeing some headlines and concern over US debt ceiling, the stalemate between raising the debt ceiling, Congress, you know, not being able to come to terms with what the final decision is going to be, which is ultimately coming to a head here at the end of this week. Yeah, I think it's going to get decided here in the next couple of days because McCarthy just went and met with Biden. They're actually meeting right now. The meeting was at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So they're... um, they're, It seems like we have this 
conversation every time had it last the year. debt ceiling is yeah. about to expire. We had it. We had this conversation at this exact same time last year. The media was saying the same thing. It was the same exact narrative. It's all the same bullshit that gets tossed around. Social Security is going to run out of money. No, it's not. Uh, dollar is not going to be the back the currency backing. Yes, it is. Um, it, it just all of it. I, I, when we talk back and forth, it cracks me up because it's like it's all just fluff and bullshit, and Ooh. there's nothing to back it. That act, it's like, oh look, somebody said this, so it's going to happen. The only thing I could think of that, and I guess I guess the question or the the conversation and debate comes back to is, is one administration's budget and spending so egregious, so negligent Every single- to the harm of the country yeah. itself? And I think a lot of what people are spotlighting right now is how much money is being moved over to Ukraine. And, and another $1.2 billion got sent to today. You. And so, so I guess that's what, that's where I see the potential, whether it's, I don't think it's going to be today, but in the future, if there's some administration that is just so egregious with the spending and and how the budget ultimately is misaligned with supporting American values, companies, the future of our country, that's where I could see it potentially becoming to a stalemate. But then again, that's at the harm of the country as a whole. Right. And we can't afford to default on we our would, debt. We would never default on our debt. It just wouldn't happen. We also have a bunch of bonds that are being paid and coming due like a couple of days before that that aren't being talked about. So we won't hit our actual debt ceiling limit. We would have an emergency fund of like $390 billion from bonds that came due to us from other countries. And that would float us through, I believe, the end of June. Just crazy, three hundred ninety billion only gets us to the end of the June. But um, yeah, the debt ceiling thing is just a political ball. They throw back and forth, and they it's who can puff their chest the most to mm-hmm. get you know a concession on this and a concession on this behind closed doors. They all know it's going to get passed. Yeah. That's why nobody on Capitol Hill is freaking out. Yep. If it wasn't going to get passed, people would be freaking out on Capitol Hill because it would they would lower our credit rate. And then that would actually be a time when I would start scratching my head on, wow, is the dollar going to be the world reserve currency? Yeah, because we can't lose our credit rating. One of the reasons we have it as this is because we're so strong with that credit rating. We've never, the U.S. has never missed a debt obligation. We've definitely told some people to screw off and unwound their debt, like Venezuela. Um, But we've never missed a debt obligation payment to people we said we were going to. I guess I, I don't know how that is, though. If we said we're going to pay somebody and we just don't, nah, we're not going to pay you anymore. We don't that one. But hey, that, that's what happens when you make the rules. That's when you're the top dog. Yeah, exactly. So. With that being said, you also noted that it sounds like which two countries were no longer, was it China and Russia? Or there was certain countries that weren't uh, going to be dealing in rupees anymore? Oh, India and, and uh, China. And China. Yeah. Oh, no, India and Russia. They said they were going to deal do their dealings in rupees and people were talking about it and of course they just announced hey i know we're now settling u.s dollars so it's just it's all just not and i don't get how people can it's not possible it's literally not possible you cannot trade it's the the reason people trade in dollars is because it's a stable currency ask macaroni tony 
He there's lots of currencies that he I think used to trade, and there's a lot of pretty volatile ones. I don't think we I would say the U.S. dollar is the most volatile currency or a really sexy currency to trade. I think the yen, the euro, and spreads between currencies are more fun, but the U.S. dollar is kind of not that sexy. Am I, am I hitting the nail on the head there? Yeah, yeah. So the reason the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency is because when people trade in it. They can depend on the value being received and not worrying about it going crazy yeah. overnight. So right. there's just a lot of reasons why it is the world reserve currency and it will stay the world reserve Berkshire Hathaway's 2023 annual shareholders meeting took place with the Oracle and his right-hand man, Charlie Munger. They discussed various topics, including the company's performance, which showed strong Q1 earnings and net income of $11.7 billion. They're going to have some... They said the companies, though, that they invest in are going to have lower earnings at the end of this year. They did. Then, but they but they said then last year. Right. Which, which we knew what was IR, going down yeah, last year yeah. was just... That's actually... A, that's not necessarily you negative. It was like that yeah, every single year. It's almost like year. somebody saying like, hey, the, you got this piece of real estate. It's a good piece of real estate. It's going to appreciate. It's just not going to be 2019 to 2022. Right. That's that's a fair. They did note that they wished they had increased investments in Apple and Bank of America because those calling Apple the best ran company in the world ever. Yep. Uh, he also noted. I do not agree with that. But that is that is what happens when you have billions of dollars in a in a page. Charlie Munger expressed regret for not investing in Google and Amazon earlier. They also cautioned against heavily. They had a pretty big segment on this of investing in cryptocurrencies, calling them a very dangerous trend. Yep. And ultimately a retail investor craze. Yep. Um, both voiced their concerns over potential, continuing potential inflation risks and rising costs, and that they ultimately kind of predicted it's just going to be stickier for longer than, you know, people like I, I think younger generations are going to kind of just, this is going to become normal for them. Yeah. The British, but the thing they're, they're going to get used to it. The thing you have to remember is that inflation where it's at is actually not high. It's just high for the last 20 years. This is actually normal. And something I'll remind people, look at, um, look at the United Kingdom or Europe. They had next to zero interest rates the whole time we did. But do you know why they did it? It's because corporations were making like zero money. Mm -hmm. So they can't afford to have paper be as expensive as it is. When we have paper as expensive as banks and corporations are more profitable. And when they're more profitable, that, that ensues a, is a healthier economy. We did not have zero interest rates until the 2008 financial crisis happened. We did not. And in fact, go look at interest rates where they were prior to 08. They are higher than, than they, they are, are today. Yeah. So this is not, let me remind everybody, this is not inflation. This is normal interest rate environment. And this is how money is supposed to work and how it's supposed to cost. And it allows people on both sides to pay to play and everybody be, is profitable. Really hard. I mean, there's a reason that uh, stocks had made such a crazy run over the past couple of years. You had massive stock buybacks. Now, Apple, one of the biggest proponents that they just approved another $80 billion stock buyback, I believe. Yeah, big stock buybacks and just more money to get 
those are allocated to, into the market. Those are going to get lessened and lessened. But when you buy your own stock back yep. and you reduce the amount of outstanding shares that you don't own, it's going to drive your price up. It's just the way it is. I think two of my takeaways from their panel, because I watched a handful of their panels and just was trying to play catch up and see what some of the highlights were, were very basic 101s, X's and O's. It was, you know... Nothing sexy. No, it really wasn't. It was be cautious of leverage, good debt versus bad debt, and how it can ultimately amplify your gains or it can drastically hurt you and create additional losses if you don't do it responsibly whether in stocks, whether in real estate. Anything. The other thing was consistently playing the long-term game and about being time in the market versus timing the market. And with how exponential some of the growth has been over the course of the last few years, people have gotten into this timing the market mindset. Doesn't work. Versus time in the market mindset or maybe getting away from that and just talking about how long-term investing, focusing on quality businesses, and avoiding market speculation, staying away from the mainstream news, the headline articles, and just looking at good, ethical, quality businesses with quality teams, with quality business plans, and being in those wonder, companies for the long term. I wonder if anybody we know has ever said that. I don't know. If you've been listening to Money Moves for a while, you know that's at least what we prescribe I mean, to as well. because. Yep. It's so easy to want to be a part of that get rich quick. You know what? It was Pepe coin or something this week. If you had, it was a cryptocurrency and it, you know, whether or not this is going to be another pump and dump or oh, it's another a pump and dump, it's down like $200 million today, but it, it went, it got up to what? Cap. Over a billion market yeah. cap in less than a week or so something like that. Sure. A pump and dump. I mean, if you had, I'm $10 in part it? of it. I'm not. Gonna what was it? $10 in $10 was a million. It's insane. That's not real. So, but again, right, though, that type of mindset and mentality is going back to what they talked about, extremely dangerous. And when you see those types of news threads or Reddit groups and channels or those types of communities that are, con it's a couple people that benefit in terms of it being a Ponzi scheme yeah, and based it's based on the losses of others. And it's at the detriment of so many other people and the ripple effect that has over the long term, not only in their physical world, but also the mindset, their actions that they take beyond that or never take ever again. It really hurts the overall um, trajectory of someone's wealth building plan. And so get getting rich, you know, getting wealthy is, you know, for some people, you can 10x it and it happens a little bit quicker. But for most people, it's just doing the right things consistently over an extended period of time. And it's that time in versus that timing side of the market. So that was those were my takeaways. Did you have anything to add to that in terms of maybe what? And by the way, those fools are like, 90, just fucking gangsters. Yeah, they're so like, they, they <laughs> Munger's 99 buffers With a straight like star seeing telescope for like when he looks into a camera, his head <laughs> looks so big because his glasses are so those thin. freaking those are some absolute spectacles. Can, that's how his, he picks the stocks. Dude. Oh he my, he can see the he financial can see into another galaxy with those glasses. But I just I love their wisdom. I love how practical they are. I love how I love how Warren Buffett still is ripping down a Coke. At every meeting. Every, I mean. Because you know he's got Coke. He's oh. Like, Hold on, that's, that's three a day. Well, he's noted that's his best performing stock, I think, of all time. That 
It's one of those earliest, and he's never sold it. Yeah, he ever. Just buys and buys and buys. Pretty, pretty. So, That's any any guy. final thoughts of adding to the two? No, of them? just I mean, like I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound sexy. Keep your money in the market. Yeah. Keep putting money into it. Wait until it's time to use it. Then tap into it. It will treat you well. Buy great and quality real estate. Run the numbers below the what makes you feel good and make it make you not feel good and still pencil out. Yep. Just do the hard thing. It's easy to own a Baskin Robbins and have 31 tubs of vanilla. But it's more fun to go out and do the hard thing and, and have some excitement. But the, the non-excitement exciting part of it is it takes time. You have to be consistent with it. And it costs money. Yep. You can't just make your money and spend it all and say, man, I, I really hope one day I can not do this. You have to take some of your money aside and set it aside for you and let your money work for you. It takes time for your money to work for you. It just does. Round on the corner to wrap things up on the state of the real estate market, commercial and residential uh, this last week, Lawrence Yoon, um, the NAR. chief economist officer for NAR, um, they did a kind of data dump on commercial and residential. And ultimately what the data shown, especially on residential, is just for the fact that this year, while it's going to be stable, it is just going to be a lot slower. I mean, if you go and look at the data that's been trickling out, and we thought as of last week, after two consecutive weeks of inventory uh, rising, which it wasn't drastic, but still rising, you know, two percentage points each week. Uh, this last week, inventory decreased 0.6% week over week, which is still down 52.6% compared to the same week in 2019. So again, we're still seeing historically low inventory levels. We're still seeing relatively strong demand, even in light of the rates jumping up. Uh, this last week, Fannie Mae just put out their data from Q1, which shows that foreclosures ultimately, minus a very, very tiny uptick, is not increasing. This is down 95% from the peak number of REOs in Q3 of 2010. So we're not seeing a lot of distress mounting there. Fed survey, banks reported tighter standards and weaker demand for all loan types. I think this is somewhat of the aftermath of you know the banking contagion and some of the concern that was there. But ultimately, we're just seeing banks kind of tighten up their standards a little bit. And they're looking at making sure borrowers are strong and deals are strong, and they're not pushing money into the marketplace as freely as they once were. We're seeing weaker demand for all loan types. So we also saw less people looking to get debt going into the markets. And I think people are starting to be a little bit more patient and see where does everything land. And once the dust settles, we might see some of that increase again. But banks reported tighter standards and weaker demand for all commercial real estate, as well as for all home equity lines of credit and for residential real estate as well. We saw Realtor.com reported weekly active inventory up 35% year over year with new listings down 22% year over year. Active inventory was up at a slower pace with for sale homes up just 35% above one year ago. New listings, which is obviously a measure of sellers putting homes up for sale, were down again this week by 22% from one year ago. We saw rent growth continue to decelerate. We're seeing apartment construction at a 40-year high. 
and rents just aren't going to be able to continue to grow at the pace or on the trajectory that they were over the course of the last few years because we're starting to see now much more supply of units come into the marketplace for rent. Supply jumps. Demand, of course, doesn't keep up with that. We're going to see rents decelerate a little bit. So I think overall, we're just starting to see things based on what the Fed is trying to do to fight inflation. And now the, you know, the supply and demand economics in different verticals of real estate start to shift a little bit. The market's cooling down a little bit, but nothing is ultimately falling out of the bottom. Nothing is ultimately crashing. The financial side of you know, the real estate economy is still very strong. It's just being a little bit more conservative right now. But we're not seeing bad loans getting written. We're not seeing, you know, uh, bad borrowers getting approved. And I think that, you know, overall, this is going to be a steady, but also stable and strong year for values in commercial real estate, and especially in single family real estate. But we will see certain asset classes. And I really think it's going to be not in your mom and pop type of investors. It's going to be more so in some of these larger institutional players that took on a little bit riskier debt to get into some of these opportunities starting to age out. And they're going to have to figure out what they want to do, especially if the banks aren't working with them on the refis or working with them where the numbers pencil because of the cost of capital to get into something different. So that's something where I think there will be opportunity there. Of course, there's always opportunities in every market. Um, I'm working on a medical plaza right now in a market that I already have a medical plaza. And I'm finding a 10-cap deal on a triple net, fully stabilized commercial property. Boom. And this was an off-market deal brought through a broker based on relationships. These types of deals are out there. They're going to continue to be out there. People are always cycling in and out of commercial real estate and single-family real estate. So as long as you're in the game, you're building the right relationships, you're having the right conversations, and you're building certain alliances, whether that's with capital partners, whether that's with private lenders or investors that want to partner with you or get in on deals, or that's people that are looking to sell or are working with sellers. There's always a bear mar- or a bull market somewhere, as yeah, Mr. Mon- Breedwell would say. Money doesn't disappear. So we will continue to track all of this data for you guys. Of course, we appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you are not subscribed yet. And of course, if you enjoy any of the data, any of the content that we share and talk about, all we ask is that you take 30 seconds, leave us a review, whatever platform you want, head over to millionermindcast.com, check out all the great stuff that we have for you guys. If you want to take advantage of your free financial x-ray, text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555 to connect with Mr. Breedwell and his team. If you want to get on my credit investor deals list, text the word deals to 844-447-1555. Mm-hmm. With that being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. We'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out 
as most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's X-Ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last, don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.